And it's your boy Roshan Gomez from the Rumah Roy podcast. You are listening to the Rumah Roy podcast lockdown edition, MCO edition. I would say pirated edition. <laughs> this is the chaplang vision. The without Jane and Sharon, there's no crew. Yeah. We're using handphone cameras. <laughs> and you have a chaplang guest. He looks super shady. No, we have a decent guest, um, a familiar guest. He's been on before. I think the most repeats. <laughs> no, not really. Three times now. I've got to be the most. It's not three times though. It is three times. I came on once in July. Once for COVID. Oh yeah. No, but Samuel, you, at very least you're tied with Samuel. Uh. Samuel 3? Yeah. Damn it. Samuel 3. Damn you, Samuel. <laughs> you need to step up your game. Yeah. yeah, so we have in the house, uh, well, Mr. Christian Gomez, uh, who… Brown, no, no. <laughs> sensei, sensei. <laughs> who's very kindly… Uh, uh, agreed to come on. Thank you very much, sir. I don't think I have much, much of an option. We don't really have much else to do. Yes. Uh, yeah. We kind and of… Uh, I kind of sleep the room next to yours. <laughs> saying no would be awkward. <laughs> <laughs> would have uh, caused uh, unnecessary uh, tension. Rift. Yeah. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm enjoying my time back home. Spending time with my mom. Yeah. Sorry, if you don't know, this is Christian Gomez. My brother. Oh, yes. We are related. Yeah. We're brothers. Yeah. Uh, he did uh, two episodes. One on… One early on. But that was more about your… You had just come back from America. Yeah. Um, and we spoke a bit about a lot of things. But My work mainly. Yeah. And then uh, we did another one with uh, about COVID. And so you were talking more from a lab. Yeah. Uh, lab. Molecular understanding of the virus. Yeah. And now, today, today we don't know. <laughs> today we don't know. Today we're going to riff it off. Yeah, sorry again. Sorry, uh, how are you doing? Spending time with mom? Spending oh, so you're mom. trying to infer that I don't spend enough time with mom? Huh? Not inferring. Let's get on it, we man. We both know. <laughs> we can <laughs> call mommy right now. She's there peeling prawns. <laughs> I mean, she's a willing guest to testify to your… So much for uh, not creating rifts. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> There's no rift here. It's a known fact. <laughs> <laughs> that can still create a rift though, to be fair. Yeah, so how's things? Um, no, I've been doing some productive things, some unproductive things as well. It's been a good balance of of the productive and unproductive. I mean, as you know, I've picked up uh, gaming again, which yeah. is a hobby or pastime that I've given up for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. So you've always, from young, been someone who's very, very uh, efficient, productive. You, you kind of… Um, I won't say… Maybe disgusting. is not think, the right I don't word. think I'm efficient, but I've definitely desired to be doing something all the time. Yeah, and you've always, always valued productivity. Mm. Like we were talking with Andre the other day, who's our friend, who's an auditor. And then you said… Uh, so we were… I guess we were complaining about work. Maybe we were not. But then you suddenly brought up like how sometimes you feel bad. Yeah. Because… <laughs> feel jealous. <laughs> feel jealous because yeah. me and Andre are always so busy. Yeah. And then we are like, it's not something… <laughs> honestly, genuinely, it's not something you want to yeah. be jealous about. But it goes to your character, which is you've always uh, been a doer, mm. right? And you're not really comfortable when you're not doing. No, I don't like being idle. Right. The only exception is video games. Well, I think I'm trying… Or at least trying to teach myself to learn that it's okay to have some sinful pleasures. Right. You know, and enjoy it. And just, just have fun with it. And not like, you know, try and… I don't know. I always feel a guilty conscience. Like when I'm doing something that's not 
you know, not adding value, I think, to my life. And it's a really interesting thing because we're both opposites in that sense. Yeah. And so it goes to that whole question of nature versus <laughs> nurture. And so we were both pretty much nurtured the same way. Yeah. Uh, but I guess even being nurtured a particular, uh, a particular way doesn't mean a particular outcome, right? I mean, we've always been different by nature since a young age. Yeah. It we, had nothing to do with our upbringing. We're just different. We have different personalities. Yeah. Right? And so maybe the that that personality part of ourselves had different ways of dealing or dealing with the way we were nurtured, la, the way mm. we were brought up, right? Mm. Any idea why you manifested this need to be productive? Maybe. maybe have you ever thought about it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, it, I mean, I realized when I was like a teenager, early 20s, that it was a problem in that I always felt the need to do something. Mm. And yeah, I started messing up a lot of things because I was doing too much at the same time. And a lot of the things I was involved in was suffering as a result. Like in uni, when I left home, you know, I had full control of my time. I could basically do as many or as little things as I wanted. But because of my personality, I did as many things as I could. Like I could possibly do. So there were many times like I would consciously agree to be at two places at the same time. Yeah. You know? Is it like a fear of missing out? No, it's just the I'm just overcompensating for fear of becoming idle. I think that's the underlying like I just don't wanna be I don't wanna lose out on life. Or right. I don't wanna I just don't wanna be lazy. I don't wanna I am always chasing something lah. I don't know what it is. Yeah. But I'm always like I need I need something more <laughs> in life. And I cannot, I just don't want to settle. <laughs> like, I, I always had this joke, which I found really funny, but maybe you never found it funny, which was, you always go exercise and you're always running and you yeah. run a lot. <laughs> and then I was like, I think I said at one point, like, at what point does it become, what are you running from? <laughs> <laughs> you you see, this is the personality difference. I look at it, I'm running towards something, but you choose to see it as I'm running away from something. That alone, that interpretation alone, <laughs> speaks a lot about our differences. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> it's probably why you never started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, someone had to stay back and make sure everything was uh, in order. While I was <laughs> yeah. out neglecting my responsibilities, <laughs> yes. running. What a irresponsible really person I was for exercising. Uh, <laughs> that's funny, though. That's yeah, funny. but you used to come running with me when we were. When we were, I think you you started running first actually, like when we were in high school. You know, we used to go to the field every day. I think, almost every day. We used to play football. Yeah, uh, that was football. That was when we were, we were in high school. No lah, but I, I only but started. The football thing died out, and then we started jogging. No, but I only started jogging about A levels like that. Really? Yeah, yeah, definitely not in high school. Oh. Definitely not high school. I think that's I actually genuinely I think that's where we differ. I think for me, I rather not do because. I think maybe you overdo because you fear yeah. failing. Yeah. Whereas I just don't do because of the fear same, of probably failing. Probably the same reasons. La, yeah. But just a, a different uh, approach to it. Different way of uh, um, dealing with that same sort of fear. La. Yeah. Question is where did the fear come from? La? <laughs> fear of failing. Because I also… Um, I, like I'm not someone who's like really chill and I can just go through… Because I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Like some people, you know, their pursuit in life… It's just to enjoy life day to day and, you know, maybe have good friends, have family, 
You know, and once things are a bit awkward, then mommy's there, <laughs> papa's upstairs. <laughs> Just so you know, if you think we're in a private room, you know, we're smack in the middle of my house. Yeah. My mom is about five five meters away. <laughs> my dad is definitely listening. Feeling prawns. But yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but like, you know, some people, they're just geared to having uh, a fulfilling life in that they live day to day and, you know, one day they will die and they're happy with yeah. just achieving that. Which is, and that's fantastic. Nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. But I think you and I both are quite ambitious yeah. in our own ways. Yeah. Right? Even at work, I think we are both considered like hard workers. Yeah. We're not really like lazy. You definitely work a lot harder than I do. I think if you were in my position, you would be doing the same thing. I don't I, know. I, I've I, never been in your position. Yeah, but we I might have resigned. Mm. Like, because I don't, at the same time, while I am hardworking, I don't find corporate work fulfilling at all. So if I was just part of a, a cog in a machine, just chugging away at documents or, you know, putting together files just for some case or some audit report, I don't think I would be able to do that kind of work for long. But and but to be honest, even I feel that way. Yeah. Right. But the only pleasure I get is in the challenge, mm. and even though painfully uh, dealing with those challenges or rising above mm. those challenges, it's they, a fulfilling thing. Yeah. You, you and you might you might also derive a Maybe. similar pleasure. Maybe. I suppose in my circle around me, like everyone is kind of doing that, and there is this healthy competition among each other to, you know, move ahead in our careers. Maybe that will... That, I'm, I'm quite a competitive person, so maybe that might drive me. Yeah. And to, some people, they don't care about that at all. For them, they feel that superficial. Yeah. And they are it just is. focused in being a good person yeah. or being the best version of themselves. Not really caring about how people perceive them or mm. what the world uh, yeah. deems to be uh, success. Yeah. Like, you could offer them positions... CEO ships, mm. CEO ships mm. of particular companies, and they'll be like, "No thanks, yeah, right. I don't want. I don't need that fame. Yeah, I don't I need that authority. Like that. Yeah, and it's fantastic, right? Yeah, yeah. But everybody has their own sort of. Would you? Do you think you fall in that category? No lah, honestly. If you were offered the CEO of your company right now, mm. like your boss just said, Roshan, mm. I'm stepping down. I'm retiring. Yeah, life is over. Yeah, I'm gonna skip all the partners. I don't trust any of them. I want you to run the company." Hell yeah. You take it. <laughs> I would take it, man. Serious. Yeah, just to be able to boss everyone around. <laughs> but, uh, but you want that responsibility. Because I it. think I'm a good leader. Uh-huh. I do think I'm a good leader. I think I'll be very good in a managerial position. Mm. But that that being said, that only caveat is even caveat. caveat is that you'd still need to have knowledge in the industry. Mm. Right? So I I, I know that I would be able to lead people well but I know that if I don't have the knowledge to back me up then it's mm. of no substance stuff. Yeah. but if I had that and I could lead yeah sure why not okay. boss people around I think it takes it's, it, I, I think being a CEO is a lot harder than people think it might be yeah definitely I think a lot of people like jump into it a bit too soon because I've you know it takes a real leadership is quite an, an art form la, in itself you know just being able to inspire the trust of other people. Like I work with, I work with a lot of leaders in my field. You know, the, the interesting about conservation is as long as you're in it, you're a leader. Because there are so few of us and we're all kind of, you know, the moment you're in it, you're leading a project, you're handling some RAs. And so everyone is thrust into leadership and most people deal with it badly yep. from my observation. 
and the repercussions are quite severe lights the main reason why lots of projects have like these inflated budgets money is wasted um there's no real output from a lot of it it's it's a leadership failure because you know getting good leadership is much harder than um, we'd expect yeah yeah definitely lots of training yeah definitely even um uh one of our guests uh, shafiq sajahan mm Oh, I was editing his videos yesterday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's one of the uh, directors. Well, not directors. I think founder or creators of um, a theater company, Liver yeah. and Lung. Yeah. So they just released a Spotify album. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Check it out. Yeah, it's good. It's really not bad. Right. And they have like online streaming. And so he did an Insta story, and he was saying how. And he wasn't doing it in like a bragging way, but he said like every uh, project by Liver and Lung has been profitable, and because they. They have to evaluate it in on that basis. They have ROIs and things like that, and that's because he comes from a corporate background. Yeah, so he's learned those principles. Yeah, and he says that uh, there's a lot of uh, creative endeavors in Malaysia because Malaysia doesn't have institutional support. That's just the way it is, right? Yeah. So they just do it themselves, yeah. and so they don't look at like returns on investment and yeah. things like that. Yeah. So it doesn't become sustainable, and so a lot of these creative endeavors end up to nothing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Just to give you perspective. Like, I know in like conservation for example you know because of mco i know of groups who've had members of the research group stuck in countries where they cannot work like say for example members of a team were supposed to be in malaysia but it's not here but because of mco they are you know abroad or somewhere else and mm-hmm. the projects obviously have to keep paying them but i i just don't think that inefficiencies like this you know basically bleeding money like that mm. will be accepted in the corporate world like the corporate world has structured itself such that it would deal with inefficiencies like that quite well um through management principles and all that and contracts binding contracts but um yeah for most of us like in conservation in the arts like so i guess mm. you just thrust into the position where you have to make decisions yeah and that's why lots of projects are just run so badly yeah because it is a learned skill yeah uh just as much as um learning how to read a scientific journal is a skill yeah learning how to manage a team or yeah. or a company or a corporation yeah. or even a fund yeah. with no prior background is pretty insane if you think about it yeah um and again i was talking to putri last week uh, but the episode comes out tomorrow about a similar thing you know like but that was more abstract about uh, uh the ability to have conversations empathy yeah. Yeah. dealing with confrontation yeah. how crazy it is that we don't learn this in school yeah because these things these small things which we are expected to know intuitively can make such a big impact in our lives yeah like the ability to communicate can actually make or break your entire life yeah but we are not thought about it and as much as science is important yeah science doesn't really affect your personal life to that extent but don't you think like english classes i mean i remember english in school because it was not an academic subject i wouldn't consider it academic you know you don't spend a lot of time learning tenses and pronouns and blah 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 romaroy podcast does not endorse the opinion of krishan gomez in respect of the english literature community thanks stop being snobs in the literature <laughs> community <laughs> don't why are you you're freaking attacking the english community <laughs> we all know what the malaysian public education system is like <laughs> stop lying to yourselves <laughs> oh man yeah yeah sorry you're saying um No, it's not an academic like I don't remember it being you know scholarly mm. in the way that maths or even BM was taught as a scholarly subject. You know, you would find that your that your SPM level BM was so much more academic than your SPM level English. In right. They challenged you much more in grammar, challenged you much more in idioms. Right. Um, 
in phrasing sentences. You know, you used to learn really complex paribahasas and how to weave a you know, long essay. All this kind of stuff. But what English was really good at and what I loved about it was the um, other stuff. The social, the empathy, the the soft skills. It was really good for like, you know, I remember just having lots of presentations about all kinds of things. Uh, poster presentations, public speaking. English classes were amazing because of that. I think English was the subject we learned all of that. Okay, we're just going to take a short, short, short. Can you just test your mic? Test, mic check, oh, test. Okay, okay, we're fine, we're fine. Sorry, you're saying English? English uh, was the subject for that, like the empathy, the communication. It was indirect. Not really, It was though. indirect, but I think English teachers intuitively knew that was their role. Uh, okay, there's two problems with that. One, teachers intuitively knowing any particular thing will vary between school to school. Yeah. So that's one thing. You could have teachers who are not meant to teach English, teaching English. Mm. So you won't get that. Then second, because it was not syllabalized. But okay, what was your experience? What was English, English classes for you? It was the sub- subject that But don't I you find a- there was a lot more engagement to to things beyond the academic? But to be fair, I had very good English teachers. Yeah, la, me as well. Yeah, so it, it could be with good English teach- teachers, yeah. you have a better experience. But even then, so you still don't get a full... Like, for example, right? Um, let's say something like... Uh, okay, two things. Number one, confrontation, right? Dealing with confrontation. Mm. There are tried and tested methods you can use or implement when... Like, almost to a science, right? That you can put into place when dealing with confrontation. Mm. But we're not really thought about that. In English, maybe we are learned the importance of confrontation, yeah, that's right? That's but we're not learning practical terms how to deal with confrontation. That's true. And, uh, yeah. Then, second to that, what is it? Huh? Yeah, I can't remember now. But anyway. I, I know like, uh, maybe, you know, leading a group discussion. We went for a course that taught us how to lead group discussions that was kind of like scientific. Yeah. They give you like a toolkit basically and that was really useful. Yeah, and it, it was useful for, and it's ironic that we're learning in church. Yeah. But it, it was useful for our lives, right? Yeah. Because simple things like, for example, consciously uh, not speaking unless you had to speak. Yeah. Is a very important thing that is not necessarily intuitive. Yeah. Or actively listening. Yeah. To people. Yeah. Or directing that person to look at others in the group, right? Yeah, yeah that was a cool one. Yeah. Because you intuitively, when there's a silence, you're reflex is to speak to feel the silence. Mm. Right? So even that, being uncomfortable with silence. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I, I, I guess it's tricky lah. It's tricky. So yeah. how does, how, how do conservationists then manage, manage their project? Yeah, I actually asked, the, asked this to my boss because he did his PhD in Oxford and when he got his PhD, basically he was thrust with these immense budgets, you know, we're talking like what budgets worth Six up to figures. a billion ringgit mm. per three every three years. So you're managing up to like three hundred thousand a year right. on your own on Excel spreadsheets. You know, mm. now you know since Oxford, such you know this institute with such repute, is dealing with projects like this, they must have a mechanism in place to ensure that you are equipped to handle that money. You know how best to manage staff and people, and given training like this, because you know. That's just what comes with the role. And he said, no, there's, everything is learned on the job. You basically just get this whole pot of money and you're expected to learn how to manage it yourself. There is no, I guess, 
you know, depending on how hands-on your supervisor is, then you get training from them. But if, you know, you happen to have a supervisor that's really hands-off, which is quite common, there's no, there's no backing in that sense. Mm, mm, mm. So it's quite interesting. I was quite surprised by that. But then again, it's not common to have million-dollar projects. It's a, conservation is an exceptional feeling that it's starting to gain a lot of momentum. So people are willing to throw quite a big amount of money towards it. Yeah. As opposed to projects where you're just studying, not not just, sorry, but you're studying like history or, you know, re- Shakespearean literature or whatever. You don't need that amount of capital. Yeah. Even in like law firms, for example, <coughs> like as young lawyers, you start to have clerks that report to you and then trying to deal with the different personalities Yeah. and how to like, how to motivate or even discipline yeah. Something so so odd, yeah. And so you have a lot of young lawyers that go crazy, right? Mm. They go like become, you know, you oh, yeah. You when you start out something, you tend to be super um, micromanaging and not micromanaging. You be super like you become really passionate or really over, yeah. Because your first time doing it, right? After yeah. a while, only then you re- you learn to like chill and calm down. Yeah. So like weird things like that you see lah. Yeah. And it's odd because like for a lot of us, like for me, for example, I see my colleagues who. Uh, like we were chambers together or we were people in chambers together and then we grow up together in the legal industry and then you see them evolving and seeing them, you know, from being the ones who were scolded to now being the ones who scold. Yeah. And it's just an interesting dynamic to see. And one, it shows you how short-term our memories are. Yeah. Because you did not like that feeling when it was happening to you. Yeah. But then… Automatically, when you have to do it, you will do it as well. Are you in the position now to school people? Yeah, to a certain extent. Yeah, definitely. But you don't like you or you choose not to. Um, I'm, I'm, I think I'm strict, but I don't like shout or or scold mm. or. And I know because of that, my the people who report to me maybe don't fear me. Yeah. Uh, as much as others, so maybe other, uh, maybe my other colleagues' works get prioritized because they are more afraid of yeah. them. So. Is it incentivized to be nice in the workplace? No. Mm. I don't think so. It depends on how you look at it. Like for me, I would prefer or I would rather uh, someone be not afraid of me because then there is an open line of communication. Mm. And so if that person screws up, Mm. that person is not afraid to come and just tell me Mm. that they they screwed up. Yeah. And I won't be blindsided later on, right? Because they're trying to hide or cover up or whatever. Yeah. Even though it's annoying, when they come with their, their mistakes. Does any of your junior lawyers listen to this podcast? Mm, some of them, I think. Ooh. Yeah. But I'm open with them. So, you know, like most, uh, not to all, but most of them, if they come and talk to me, I will tell them like, you know, if you have stupid questions, come and ask me. I don't mind. Yeah. I don't mind dumb questions. Don't waste like the partner's time with stupid questions. <laughs> because they are they, they are gonna mind it. La, yeah, yeah, because yeah. they have so many other things to do. Yeah. But I don't mind. Because I still kind of really remember how it was to have those stupid questions. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's nice. Um anyway, I really wanted to talk to you about um the Mahati interview yesterday. The BFM BFM. Yeah, he was on BFM at 8 a.m. Mm. We both listened to it together in yep. part. Um, I think it's quite a monumental moment in Malaysian media because here's this figure of such political um, size 
And, you know, BFM is kind of known for being this open platform, not many filters there. I, I said yesterday that they kind of emulated the BBC hard talk kind of format. Yeah, I think they, they've said the same thing as well. Yeah. So, it was very interesting. I was quite excited about it. And I think it met my expectations mm. in that, you know, BFM didn't let let me down. Like, they didn't shy away from the hard questions. Um, and Mahathi also dealt with it head on. So, what were your thoughts? Um, well, you're getting a call from an unknown number. Yeah, what were your thoughts? My thoughts were, yeah, like, I think I agree with you. I think definitely, um, they had asked uh, difficult questions. They had pushed him. Um, I do think to a certain extent, some of the questions were unnecessary. Yeah. Um, some of it felt, but again, that's the format. So you can't really fault them for the format. But they were trying to rile him up as well. Uh, yeah. Or push they were to a corner. Yeah, they were trying to push him in a corner. Some of these things we know. Look, we know Tun M is basically a grandfather. Yeah. And he's going to have grandfather uh, worldviews. Yeah. Right? So asking him things about the French… Uh, the Muslim one. The Muslim scandal and all yeah. that and pushing on that. Yeah. Or even asking him… There was that one part, part where they asked him about, you know… Um, I think he said he didn't want to be in PKR because he's a multiracial. Yeah, and then they pushed like, oh, why you don't want to be in a multiracial party? They thought they caught him with that. Yeah. I mean, they just want him to say something scandalous, like, look like. Yeah. But what I did admire about him is, you know, and what I've, I think I will always admire about Mahathir is he's not afraid to say scandalous things that he believes in. Right. And the beautiful thing about it all is that he can whether rightly or wrongly, but he can back up his value systems with reason. Yeah. Rightly or wrongly, la, like you had a whole podcast going into Mahathir's kind of logic train mm. and you can attack it all you want. Yeah. But he has a logic train. The one with, um, the episode with uh, Harit and yes, Jeremy. Yeah. The, you know, you spoke about the Malay Dilemma. Yeah. Also, you know, I read the book and it's really brilliant. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful insight into the mind of this man. Mm. Um, at least you can attack it, you know. Mm. Whereas with like other… My standard for most politicians is when they make a decision, most of the time it's confusing to you because you just don't understand how they arrived at the decision. You know, what is going on in their heads? Yeah. Why is it so, you know, kind of like a departure from the norm? Yeah. Why are they making decisions that are so different from what Malaysian people want? Mm. But with Mahathir, you know, he can explain why he arrived at the decision. You can attack that. But at least there's something to talk about. Mm. The rest, you just there's no discourse. There's no, there's nothing. Yeah, my my opinion is I think there's two kinds of people when it comes to power. There are people, or maybe there's three, but let's just talk about two. There's a type of people who gain power with good intentions, right? So they they are a type of authoritarian a figure mm. that gains power and but ultimately wants to use it for the benefit of the people, mm. right? Um, you see this in people like. Uh, um, like uh, Cuba, what's the guy's name? Uh, Castro. Yeah, Fidel Castro. Mm. Same thing. Real authoritarian figure. Mm. Did a lot of horrible things. Mm. But you can argue he did it with Cuba's best interest in Wait, mind. Wait, did he do bad things to Cubans? Um, yeah, in a sense that any dissenter was like killed. Yeah. Right? And like kind of, he has a lot of human rights issues. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you can kind of see a similar sort of approach with Mahathir, but maybe not as extreme. Yeah. Uh, but he also rigged 
the system so much in his favor yeah so that it it would always prop him up yeah and that later blew back in his face lah right mm. it backfired later on much later on mm. but a lot of people and a lot of people are angry at mahate because of those things that he did those authoritarian sort of measures that he put in place but i also can't deny that i think he genuinely believes in what he says says yeah he's not collecting power for purely for his own benefit a lot of it he thinks generally is for the good of the people as a whole yeah. good for the malay population which is the majority in this country as a whole and things things of in that order lah whereas there are other people other politicians who rig the system not for malaysia but for their own benefit mm. you know to accumulate wealth for themselves and their families and their families and mm. all of that and that's the these people are the snakes who you'll see them flip flop mm. change their positions when mm. it suits their chameleons basically mm. Mm. but to them has never been that lah and that's why he's controversial yeah like the things that he says about uh jewish people <laughs> you know in the malay <laughs> dilemma and now it's still the same yeah. it hasn't changed you yeah. know he's basically a grandfather lah yeah. and and he comes from a different time does that mean that what he says is right or wrong or whether what he does is right or wrong no uh, that's a discussion to be had but you can't doubt his uh, sincerity lah or his even more a, a, a buzzword which is authenticity mm. he's authentic mm. you know and that's why he's such a polarizing figure mm. you either love him or you hate him mm. right because he actually believes in something yeah it's so hard to find these days i don't know whether there's a modern example of that inside sadik said sadik tries he tries to say and say what he believes in very clearly explains why he believes in what he believes in and mm. does act on it to a certain extent i think his powers are limited i i i have a um uh, i have mixed feelings about sadik i i at, at one level i like him because mm. at least i see him like doing, doing things yeah and he has a more mature uh, more nuanced understanding of issues mm. and i believe he is someone you can sit down and have a proper discussion with mm. my only thing is i just feel like he's so media-ish yeah you know like everything seems to be a gimmick and yeah. he almost sometimes seems to be selling you something that you want again the, the I, i i don't sense that authenticity mm. inside sadik it feels like he's giving people what they want right mm. and so I, I, that that i'm not sure about said sadik lah well he's a young politician and i think yeah. because of that you know he's fighting the the paradigm that he's young and therefore he is he cannot do much yeah you know and i think i i, I kind of get annoyed by his tiktok videos that's for sure mm. but i think all of that is just to promote this idea that he's young and because of that he has to work extra hard to prove himself and maybe he's reaching out to a demographic that we just don't understand maybe like that tiktok stuff i don't know i mean they aren't a voting class but they are going to be voting class because now mm. voting age is 18 yeah so maybe maybe there may be some merit to it lah. but i did like that he went bald because so many people actually in parliament people treat him really badly because he's good looking yeah which is so weird yeah it's so so weird but yeah. it is almost like there's a lack of respect because he's good looking yeah. like it's almost like they expect you to be old well because he's famous and he gets so much attention on media yeah i would imagine it's still a lot of jealousy right you know no one no one they the politicians know they are hated by a big chunk of people <laughs> and they can't stand that this guy <laughs> is liked is l- not just liked but loved, loved yeah yeah 
and most of them would secretly want to be in his position. La. Yeah. And so they dismiss it by just saying, oh, of course he's good looking. Yeah, he's good looking. Yeah, you know, they just the, like him because right. he's young. It's not because of anything good about yeah. him. In that way, uh, One of some of them probably when I was young and so it was the same. <laughs> I had all the ladies like my photos. <laughs> in my in my my fro <laughs> bell bottom <And> jeans. <laughs> I was the man Boots in Boots with the fur. I was the man in Kampa. <laughs> uh getting all those cities and bitties cities and binties. Yeah. But uh in that way I think Zaid Sadik had like this really good uh clap back. One People always call him Young, Young, Young. He actually opened a party called Muda. Yeah. Which I think is a great clap back. Even though the ideology of the party is still in question. Yeah. Uh, and two, I like that he went bald. It's like something that… Yeah. He doesn't know, care about his looks. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like… It's a, not overly vain. Yeah. And he's kind of like uglier now because he did it, right? <laughs> <laughs> so like… How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's great. I think, you know, you use that thing that people were putting you down for. Your yeah. looks, your youth. Yeah. You do a weird kind of Brazilian jiu-jitsu move on it. You know, they pulled out his entire funding for his parliamentary constituency. He's got pulled zero out. money. Pulled out his funding? Basically, you know, every year budget, right. every constituency gets, you know, a budget to spend. And he went from 3.2 million in his government mm. to zero in this new government. Damn. Zero. What is a parliamentarian supposed to do with zero ringgit? But what about the other constituencies? I don't know. He just said about it. I'm sure it's a blanket thing. Lah. Across the board, all opposition parliamentary seats got zero money. Like, what do you do? That's crazy. Though. What does a parliamentarian do with… You know, the main job of a parliamentarian is he's going to go down and visit people. All those people are going to be complaining about floods, about, you know, really menial problems. Mm. Not big scale stuff, but we're talking about the school's roof needs to be changed. The yeah. floods are coming. The… Paddy farms are overrun with uh, snakes. You know, stuff mm. like that. Mm. And a parliamentarian has to find solutions. How is he supposed to find solutions if he has no money allocated to him at all? So, right. I mean, Sa- Sadiq tried. La. He did this Go Ball campaign. Raised quite a big chunk of money. Mm. And bought, I think, about 200, nearly 300 laptops mm. for, you know, students going to uni and stuff. Which was, I think, a good thing. Like, you know, it's a good investment. Mm-hmm. Good way to spend the money. Mm-hmm. But zero money for parliamentary constituency. It's miserable. Know, what do you do? What is government supposed to do? Yeah. I wish you could get him on the podcast. Oh, he'll be cool, huh? Yeah. I mean, he used to speak a lot better. Now I feel he's like diluted his intellect a little. <laughs> you know one weird thing that he did that again gave... Uh, connects to this whole gimmicky thing. Yeah. He got invited for uh, like a you know TV3 program or whatever. I can't remember. Maybe it was Awani. I'm not sure. And he had to debate two <laughs> high school girls. Oh. Debaters. That was a big event. Was it a big event? It was huge. It, was but a, it looks national. so weird. No lah. That one he so was weird. just… He pa- no, he didn't debate a high, two high school girls. He did. He partnered with one high school girl and he was debating… It was a university level debate lah. Dude, I don't think so. This was the one on Awani or something, right? On Astro. I think so, yeah, yeah. No, it was, yeah, it was universe. And the opposing team was not like some junior debater. It was a, you know, national champion kind of level guy. No, it was two girls, lah. Wait, wait, I'll bring up the video. Hold on, lah. Okay. Give me one second. I think the Awani stuff, the debates was just to promote, he wanted to promote debating as a national hobby or something like that, like Just want to make debate this pastime that every Malaysian, you know, like how chess is in Russia. 
you know, people playing chess everywhere. He just wanted debate to be like the activity of the youth. Chess has become super popular now because of uh, Queen's Gambit. Yeah. Queen's Gambit. Yeah. But yeah, Russians love love chess. Like yeah, they know, are actually walk, legends. In yeah, you chess. walk everywhere, people will be playing it. Even in London, in fact, we don't have that culture here. But if you go to like Europe, you can find people playing chess in every side street. Yeah, we can't we can't do outdoor stuff because of the rain. Yeah, that's true. Side Sadik or the I put Side Sadik on YouTube and debate and then just the videos of him crying comes up. Crying because of they remember the press conference he did. He cried. Yeah, I remember he said he got he got he had to. Oh, when he was accepting that fake scholarship to Oxford. Yeah, yeah. that was a gimmick. That was hundred percent a gimmick. <laughs> There's no hot side, Sadiq. Debate. Awani. Type Awani. Maybe you'll find something. Let me see. Uh, oh, there's a video of him talking to Najib. Oh, yeah. Two years ago, there's one. Oh, no, 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 no. It's an advertisement from Prosperity. We can't do that. <laughs> we should get YouTube. The premium. Why? Don't have and to watch the advertisement. You can pay for it lah. No lah, this is not the one lah. There's another one. There's another one where he was like debating high school students. Really? Yeah, it looked really shady. Yeah, anyway. I can't find it now. If <sighs> I if I find it, I'll, I'll put it up on our... I think if you want him on your podcast, you should drive down to Moa. Just camp there for a bit. Once you see his Insta stories in Moa, just like, Pop on over to the parliamentary office and go with your podcast kid. Why be? Sit down. <laughs> I don't think he's going to be keen on that. No, I think he's quite free when he's in Moa. Like he chats with everybody. Is it? Yeah, he just goes around his motorbike, talks to all the hawker, stop, hawker shop people. Right, right. Yeah. So how has his MC affected your... Um, Research. Yeah. Work. Yeah, it slowed things down for sure. I mean, my colleagues are spread all over the world. I have a colleague in Peru. She's there, stuck for mm. a year. Mm. Um, my boss is also in the UK, stuck there for over a year. Mm. And I have two field assistants in the jungle now. Mm. Ironically, when we go into these heavy lockdowns, the jungle closes as well. Why? I have no idea. Honestly, it doesn't make any sense. Right. It's the safest place to be. Could it um, be... Could you um, spread... Like, to the animals. Like antibodies or... Antibodies? Yeah, I mean, eventually after... Like you get vaccinated or what? Could, uh-huh. it, could, could it affect the Wildlife? ecosystem? No, yeah. la. Antibodies can't be spread. Right. Um, viruses can be spread. Viruses are active particles. Antibodies are like... Animals don't like just swim around in your blood. They're created when there's an infection. Right. Um, but yeah, you can spread that diseases. That's, that's a threat that's always there regardless of COVID. So could you spread COVID to Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I know that coronavirus exists in animals as well. Yeah. But different strains lah. Yeah. So But I don't think that's why the park closed. The park is just like, oh, tourism is you know, tourists are not allowed to come to the park, therefore the whole park is shut down. It's just like a blanket ordinance lah. Mm-hmm. And the rules are inflexible. Mm-hmm. So they just interpret it that way. So anyway, yeah, everything slowed down first, you know. Mm. Uh so thankfully, thankfully because we're on these research grants, you know, we're not pressured to create outputs consistently for profit or to earn an income. Mm. But what we are pressured to do is, look, we're going to get a salary no matter what. You don't have to worry about that. But you're not going to be salaried forever. 
and you, while you're salaried, you want to get as much done as possible mm-hmm. so that when your grant finishes, you have like so much output that getting the ne- next grant becomes easier. Right, right, right. If your next applicant, they go like, okay, so you had a grant for the last five years and all you produced is these two papers, three papers. Mm-hmm. Why would I give you another grant? Mm-hmm. You know? So, while there's, there's no pressure, there's no pressure like a business to work for profit because we are going to get paid no matter what until the end of the grant. Mm. We need to still find ways to get output lah, no matter what. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. I wonder what, how this whole thing, this lockdown has affected the environment. Yeah. Because like, suddenly you have like, so many cars that are not traveling. Yeah, some would, I mean, you would have expected that it's healthier, right? Mm. But actually, uh, I know the economists reported that um, plastic pollutants in the sea had gone up, gone up by 30%. And only that's a good metric for how much plastic waste is being disposed just everywhere. Mm. You know, this is not landfill plastic. This is just plastic that's, you know, everything runs off to the sea at some point. Mm. So whenever you dispose of trash on the road or in a building, eventually it tends to just get washed off into the sea somehow. Mm. Goes to the drain, blah, 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 blah. Um, so 30% is huge amount mm. of plastic pollutants. Mm. They have this particle measure of of microplastics in the sea that mm. they continuously measure. Mm. So on that front, we're doing terrible. Uh, Timmy, my friend in Kuching who works for the garbage company, said uh, landfill collection to the the domestic waste had gone up by something like 20%. Why though? Just lots more takeouts. Right. People are at home. They're throwing. I, I, I mean, I think it's the tapau, the whole tapau thing. You're, mm. You know, a lot more grocery shopping. You're not eating in shops anymore. Mm. When you eat in shops, you eat on a plate. But now you're tapauing taking everything, away. taking it away, you know. So there's a lot more waste than that. Masks, mm. uh, gloves. So, a lot lah. So... At front, we're not doing too well. I guess the cars would help marginally lah. Mm. But, no, it depends what we're eating as well. If we're, if we're now on lockdown and we're just generally consuming more meat, for example, mm. or you're generally eating more as a whole, that's going to be Which quite… has been a lot of people's experiences. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, because, you know, the rationale is you're saving money on transport. Now you can… You have a bit of a buffer. And people tend to spend that buffer on more fancy food. Right. So… All of this, you know, eating more cows, eating more beef has a drastic impact on the environment. Even eating McDonald's. Yeah. It's crazy. Huge. I, I think what, what… The amount of water yeah. and um, and land it takes to feed a cow and then the resulting greenhouse gas. Yeah, Jeremy told me something crazy. I don't know whether this is true, but is it something like one burger patty is equivalent to like one swimming pool of water? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right. One cow is basically a football field of water. That's mad. Yeah. It is. Damn. I mean, that's that's the big argument for vegans, lah. Right. It's just so much more environmentally friendly to not eat um, meat. Meat. However, that being said, just recently, and I would like your thoughts on this, Singapore has agreed to import lab-produced meat. One hundred percent cloned cells. Shit. Yes. Here we go. It's the first time. <laughs> Here we first go. First time in human history. The start of every zombie movie. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's this chicken meat cloned from one chicken in Ireland, I think. Yeah. One chicken. They've got his cells, his muscle cells. I mean, the concept is very simple. Lah. Yeah. We've been cloning cells forever, for sure. decades. The idea now is that you clone muscle cells and you give it all the 
input raw materials it needs to become muscle tissue and and presumably you'd want to it to be as authentic as possible so you don't want just muscle tissue you want the skin to be on it you maybe want hair as well you oh know my who wants God. who <laughs> some people might want stuff like that man. so they get all these cells and tell the cells to differentiate into these different parts of the chicken yeah with cell signaling and let it grow it doesn't become a chicken it just grows into that tissue that you can then sell does it taste the same yes exactly the same are you sure well i've not tried it but the the what okay then what is the drawback here that's the thing there's no drawback nobody knows right one would argue there are no drawbacks <laughs> I mean, this sounds like the future, but it just seems a bit sounds shady. Sounds like an amazing future. It seems like it's too good to be true. I know it does, but you know, it took a long time to get there. So saying it's too good to be true is coming from your perspective because you put zero effort in getting it there. The guys who've worked on it for decades would say say that this is a rep, a feat of science, and you know, decades in the making, and they would say this was a hard won victory for yeah. science yeah. and for civilization. Yeah. But for someone who's just like at the end of the whole rope and you just have to decide, will I buy this or not? The option is given to me. Of course, you'll feel like, no, there must be something wrong with this. Yeah. It is way, you know, why, why, how can you just substitute a living thing for something grown in a lab? But can you imagine the repercussions or not? It would mean we no longer need a chicken. Why stop at chicken? Yeah, beef. No longer need beef. No longer need cows. You know, all these animal rights issues with domestic animals that we are farming and killing, mm. all gone. The environmental issues with having land that size to to farm these animals, all gone. But I... Okay. But even when you kill an animal, the enzyme secretions and, you know, the... the Which is presumably bad for health. Well, yeah, exactly. But all those things, right? Even dying, you know, the the things that happens to the meat, right? Yeah. Those sort of things can't be factored into when you produce. But why would or you grow when, grow meat? I don't know. There might be some benefit to it somehow. I don't know. I mean, I I don't know the. I'm I'm looking at it the angle of people who say that it's better to um, keep it in its natural state than factory farming, for example. Yeah. Right. There's but, a there's a. A conception of naturalness. But if you if you are eating in Malaysia, you have already accepted the fact that you're not eating things in its natural state. Not necessarily. If you eat like kampung chicken, for example. Not just that. If you eat corn in Malaysia, you're yeah. eating genetically modified plants. But you can opt to. You get, can opt, but we don't. But you can. This is the point. That's yeah. and like in Europe, for example, or in Western countries, there's a culture of opting for. Uh, non-GMO products, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Or organic products. Yeah. It hasn't hit Asian countries yet. Yeah. But I feel like as you've developed, it will happen, lah. Yeah. So there's an idea of it being natural or organic, and yeah. I wonder whether there's any arguments for that, for this sort of genetically grown food, lah. I think the fear is the unknown, lah. Right. That's the that's the driving source. You know, this whole pandemic would have unearthed this whole thing. Why inject a vaccine? Mm. That's the same argument. What mm. a vaccine is basically a manipulation of your body systems. Mm. You know, and you know you can go down a whole argument about anti-vaccinations mm. um, and why you should just let your body do its natural response. Mm. But at some point, 
and we've come to that point where the cost of letting your body deal with it mm. is just way too high. Mm. And so you have to you have to realize that you don't have the luxury of choice anymore. Mm. And whether we like it or not, these environmental problems are going to become so serious that we will not have the luxury of choice. Now it goes to a deeper discussion on whether one can have individual rights or whether you have to sort of sacrifice it for the good of the community. Yeah. Well, the fact of the matter is, at some point, land is going to become so expensive that mm. the average person is not going to be able to afford a cow or yeah. beef. Mm. And so you have, you know, whether you like it or not, even if you don't choose it, the economics is going to force you towards it. Mm. Just natural capitalistic kind of shifts will force you. Actually, I don't know about that, you know. You know why? There's a... I read an article the other day which projected that there's a mass population decline globally. That'd be interesting. Yeah. I think that would be good actually. Yeah. But it's very sadistic way of looking at the human species. Lah. I think as humans, our general inclination is to want people to live and procreate. No, it's celebrate just a, life. I don't think it's because of like death or anything. Well, let me pull out the What people are just giving birth less and yeah. more aging. Yeah. And it was from proper like articles. Yeah. Wait, uh, let me try and get the mass. What mass? do you what what do you would you opt for um would you eat it? Yeah, yeah, I would. I would. I'm I mean I'm generally not just because of the environmental reasons, but I think just the it's the only way I see forward, lah. Unfortunately, unless we're all game to go back to organic farming individually, you know, small plots of land, everyone grow what they eat, nobody buy from like big markets anymore. Mm-hmm. That then we don't really have much of an option, lah. I would very much prefer to have my own plot of land and grow whatever I eat. Mm-hmm. You know, be a self-sufficient uh, economy where every family is able to feed themselves. And you you grow what you eat. You eat only what you grow, and you know you become sustaining that way, lah. Then you can control these things, and it's a lot more efficient way to manage land. A lot more efficient way to manage health, and the use of pesticides and GMO, blah blah blah. Mm. But the fact of the matter is, we don't want to go back to an agrarian society. Yeah. So here's the article. This is from the Pew Research, right? So it's a legit, you know, thing. So it says by 2100, the world's population is projected to reach approximately 10.9 billion mm. with annual growth of less than 0.1%, a steep decline from the current rate. Between 1950 and today, the world's population grew between 1% and 2% each year. I mean, the number of people rising from 2.5 billion to more than 7.7 billion. So that's, that's different from what you're saying, actually. And because of global fertility, yeah. because of the fertility rate. Yeah the rate is projected to fall below the replacement fertility rate. Yeah. So the world's median age is expected to increase to 42 in 2100 from the current 31. Yeah. Africa is the only world region projected to have strong population growth for the rest of the century. Europe and Latin America are both expected to have declining populations by 2100. Mm. The population population of Asia is expected to increase from 4.6 billion to 4.25.3 to then mm. start to decline. Mm. Yeah, so basically it's a, a lot most of it is a decline uh projection. Well, but you, the beginning sentence projected an overall growth but in a much uh slower rate. Slower rate. Yeah. S- lesser than the rate of 
um, gross before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's still gross lah. I mean, populations basically we've not reached the maximum population number yet lah. Yeah, yeah. But even though it reduces, okay. that what it would mean is that you would be having an aging population. You would have not enough people being born to replace. No, no, no. It doesn't mean that. Yeah, yeah. It does. It does. It does. In some places, yes, like Europe, they said. Yeah. But not globally. Yeah, not globally. Because la. the fact that the global population can hit 10 billion, that means you need a surplus of births. Mm-hmm. You, know, you need more births than deaths. Yeah. Yeah. I think even Elon Musk can. Yeah. So it says here, August 2019, Elon Musk and Jack Ma agree the biggest problem the world will face is population collapse. So Musk says most people think we have too many people on the planet, but actually this is an outdated view. Yeah. Musk also said the same thing. Fears of overpopulation due to immigration are short-sighted, according to Musk. The common rebuttal is like, well, what about immigration? I'm like, from where? Musk and Ma may be aggress- aggressive with this time frame, but by 2070, the global fertility rate is expected to fall. Below the global replacement fertility rate, that's the average number of children each woman needs to give birth for two for the population to replace itself from one generation to the next, according to a re- recent analysis of United Nations global population data from the Pew Research Center. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of ecologists, environmentalists are projecting that population control is the only way the human species is ever going to survive, have longevity. Yeah, beyond like this next seventy or eighty years. But according to them, we don't need to talk about population control because the population rate is going to hit a decline anyway. Yeah, it's interesting. That's why that that there was a no. But these projections are based on current estimates or models, mm-hmm. and this is a Malthusian problem. You know, mm-hmm. Thomas Malthus made the same error mm-hmm. in the industrial England. Mm-hmm. He projected the same thing mm-hmm. that there was going to be a population decline, mm-hmm. that uh, we hit our max then. But he was looking at projections of economic um, economic uh, conditions at the time, mm. where you know when you have a population increase, there's going to be demand on more things. It's going to become too expensive. People are not going to be able to afford it, and therefore the poor people are going to die. And then you know you hit a bottleneck and a cap. And these projections are based on similar models, where you're basically saying there's X square of land, X fixed amount of land. We need this amount of land to feed this much of people. Mm. Therefore, there's going to be a maximum that we can reach, mm. you know, based on current projections. Mm. But what we always fail to estimate is how technology is going to disrupt it. Mm. And revolutionary technology, like being able to grow all your food in a lab, mm. that's going to really change the ball game. Because mm-hmm. what if every single person is eating meat from stuff grown in a lab, mm. from having entire countries devoted to farming and giving you cows? Mm. That now shifts to small buildings. Mm, mm, mm. How will that change the the whole landscape? It'd be so different. But and here I might be going a bit too far. But it almost seems like we do have a culture of having small families, though, irrespective of whether you can afford to have a big family or not. Because you have like really wealthy people. For like, you look at the top tier, you look at your Musks and your Beyonces or you know your Jay Zs, and they still opt for a small family. Oddly enough, right? Yeah. I don't know why it seems like it's a there's a kind of culture of having small families. Ironically, that's maybe doesn't hold true for families in the 
lower oh. income yeah. uh, bracket. Yeah. But it seems to, instead of, you think that more wealthier you are, the more you can afford, you have bigger families. And of course, there are examples of that. You look at your um, Eddie Murphy's or whoever. Like, I mean, this is a lot of kids. Huh? Yeah, a lot. Like uh. 10 or something like that. Uh-huh. But of course, spread through like Many three, three, three past relationships. Right. Like. Something like that. Like, huh? Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's just it seems a bit weird, isn't it? It is true. I think I think a lot of it is economic. I mean, maybe not for the super rich. That's right. a whole different thing. Look at Bill Gates. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe think not for it. the super rich. That's more of like a philosophy, philosophical kind of decision. But isn't it funny though? They can they can have many kids. They can have many kids. Like in the past, you talk about your Genghis Khan. You know. Yeah, I know. Genghis Khan <laughs> is a crazy guy. You know about the stats? Genetic, yeah, yeah, yeah. The genetic yeah. stats. Yeah, yeah. One third of every Asian has. Gang- Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan DNA. Yeah. Uh, anyway. But that's also because of his sons and... Uh, no, that was him. Just his lineage. Of course, his sons is in part yeah, of that lineage. La, but no, but it's not like... This, the common perception is like, oh, he he banged all these women, right? But it's not just him. It no, was it's a, lineage. Like, his like sons binary. had like... Tw- you know, even his yeah, yeah, sons yeah. had like yeah, 20, yeah, yeah. 30. Right? It's like a yeah. lot. La, yeah, yeah. Right? The Mongol... Mongol Empire. Mongol Empire. Amazing. You know, I was really listening to a history podcast mm. and so the British basically stole India from the Mongols. Mm. Is it Mongols or Mongols? Mongols. Mogul. No. M-O-G-H-U-L, right? No, but it's spelled Mongols. I mean, it's pronounced Mongols. We can just Google it. Hold on. Mong... Mongols? Mongols. How do I pronounce? It's M O M O G H U L. I'm looking for the pronounce. Anyway, so they were the super. The British went to India. I can't remember the year, but it was basically through the the East India Company, right? And when they went there, historians describe that the English were basically like uncivilized. Uh, the English were uncivilized daughters. You know, mm-hmm. they were amazed at the level of complexity and sophistication in the Indian kingdoms that were led by the, controlled by these Mughals lah. Mm. And uh, how rich they were. Basically, the historians say like, they were, they, their kings were like, decked in gold, just covered, head mm. to toe in gold because they were just so rich. Mm. And it was this heart of manufacturing for the globe and trade. And mm. at the time, India accounted for about 30 to 40% of global trade. Mm. Okay? Whereas the UK accounted for three. Mm-hmm. Fraction tiny, but basically, after that, you know, we're very. Did you get it? I heard Mongol. Mughal. 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 It's the Mughal Empire. <laughs> um, okay, for, for British pronunciation, pronunciation it's Mughal. M U H G A. GL for American it's M O O G L Mughal 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 sounds weird I've heard man. some people say Mughal Mughal okay whatever can we just call it Genghis Khan's empire okay the Khans the Khans right okay right. so um, the British took over somehow in 70 years mm. East India Company wiped them out took over Shitty what Shitty SHT yeah isn't that what they call? SHTI. Yes. That's the <laughs> Malay translation. 
Syarikat. Shitty. Syarikat what ah? I can't remember. Timo. Syarikat Timo. India. Something like that lah. Shitty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. Sorry, you're saying? Um, and the British took over in 70 years. And only last year. Syarikat Hindia Timo Inggris. Hindia. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, only last year. Since then, uh, mm. the year that the uh, East India Company entered India and took over, only last year was the first year India surpassed the UK's GDP. Mm, mm, mm. You know, they went from like a 40% of trade versus 3% of trade. Mm, mm. Okay? India and UK. That's the comparison of richness in the place mm. to to completely flipping it on its head. Mm. India was this desolate place full of poverty and they only overtook the UK's GDP last year. Mm, mm, mm. This is like a 300-year-old destruction of an empire. Mm, mm. It's terrible when you think about it. And the UK has this tendency of painting them, painting themselves as like this global heroes. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. They're not very honest with themselves. I feel. Okay. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think because a lot of like um, liberals sort of very flippantly talk about colonization and talk about uh, the the British Empire as a sort of evil force. Really? Right? Yeah. Maybe the new gen lah. Certainly not when I was in school. Ah, uh, maybe now lah, now lah. Yeah. Now the rhetoric is, you know, you know, the colonize colonizers is a buzzword. Yeah, yeah, Just yeah. like how uh, a capitalist is. Uh, actually, these words were not buzzwords when we were growing up. No. Capitalist structure, patriarchal structure, yeah. Colonizers. These are all buzzwords lah. Yeah. But like anything, you have to look at it in a kind of holistic kind of sense. Yeah. Like for example, one thing the British did do is that they did spread certain ideas that right now we would think is very beneficial. Mm. For example, um, the way men and uh, women are held in equal regard. Mm. Uh, you could make an argument that even in the UK that there wasn't that same level. Yeah. But it definitely was worse before the UK came. But one would think that ideologies, and these are examples of this, mm. political ideo- ideologies, as long as it was good, mm. would have spread organically throughout the globe. And you see that in empires that were not colonized. Like Russia. Mm. was never colonized by anybody. Mm. But, you know, you see that despite this, you know, being in this Eastern Orthodox world, they've adopted very progressive ideologies. They've adopted capitalism Mm. like everybody else. Mm. So, you know, as long as you have this free, free exchange of ideas where people are moving in and out trading, you know, while they trade, they talk about kind of their living principles and as long as it's a good thing, People adopt it. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Um, For example, uh, classism or even the the caste system in India. uh, I I have a feeling it would have organically been weeded out. Okay, what about even the environment? Yeah. You know, this idea of... Protecting, yeah, that's true. That's that's the champion of the West. Hmm. That's been a champion. And maybe it's their legacy because they have reap the benefits of becoming a, a first-class um, civilization. Civilization. So now they can comment yeah. on other people's attempts to uplift themselves as well. But, yeah. you know, these are truths. Yeah. Right? I don't know whether I'm making any sense. I mean, I think places like Malaysia has less of a grievance with the, the colonizers because, mm-hmm. gen- yeah, of course, some of our wealth was 
taken away. But I think the bulk of our wealth was actually taken by our own people <laughs> of in the last few decades, mm. uh, post-independence. Mm. Because you think about the economies that were before, it was just like rubber and mm. stuff like that. No, there was still no like petroleum, which is a huge, much, yeah. much larger proportion 100%. of wealth. We had we had rubber and Bijitima. Yeah. I think these two were the Which big is ones. not a massive industry. At the time, at it would the time, been. at the time, Bijitima was big. Yeah, I think during the Second World War, we were like the because they needed to make bullets. Yeah, so yeah, BG, yeah. you needed Bijitima for for bullets, right? So I think we were the largest, if not maybe second largest uh, Exporter. exporters of uh, tin. You mm. know, so it was a big deal, la. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Is it? I mean, it's an interesting conversation to be had. But I uh, think it's hard because within Malaysia, we'll still have. I mean, I wouldn't consider myself an anti-loyalist or anything like that. Lah. Even in India, to say that the British took all of the wealth or destroyed, India was so big. I, the problem is if you, if you realize what they were before the British came, mm. I never knew that. Right. And maybe a lot of Indians actually don't. I don't even understand. Okay, that's the problem. I don't understand Indian history. I don't even know how it was structured. Yeah. Were they a unified... Empire, <coughs> or was it like multiple? Yeah, you know, like this was definitely towards the end of the Mughals, lah. Mm. It was on the t- tail end of their empire. Mm. You know, they were the largest empire in the world. Yeah, and it was definitely on the tail end because it started losing power, started losing control, and they were getting attacks from other places as well. Mm. But the English just took advantage of that, lah, mm. and form alliances, just like they did here, actually. Um. Yeah, they didn't really dismantle um, the 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 class system no. in India. They worked with them. Yeah, yeah. I just think you just look at the economics of it all. If India was left, you know, it would have, you know, changed powers. You know, but as long as there was a governing body, and the wealth was kept within that governing body, the people would have benefited far more greatly. But mm. in, in, with the UK. Especially in the East India Company, that wealth was a singular purpose of enriching the company, mm. and the company was well established in the government. Yeah, I don't know, man. This is something I don't know much about, but it's definitely interesting. You know, I found out the other day that Tamil is the oldest spoken language in the world. Oh. Like, no, but Sanskrit. Oh, you mean currently spoken? Currently, oh. isn't it insane? Yeah. Like the oldest language in the world that is spoken is Tamil. Come on, Latin is still spoken now. Uh, not really. In the Vatican. <laughs> they still speak it, okay? The Pope can speak Latin. No, but it's a dead language. Yeah, like it's dead because no one else besides them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, every Catholic will sing songs in Latin that they don't understand. But you no, know, as, as a language, it's dead because it also doesn't... It cannot. You cannot adopt... And, yeah, you cannot communicate with it. Yeah, it, it, you... Almost can't use it in a modern context because there are new, no new words. Yeah, yeah. You know, it cannot evolve as a language, whereas yeah. Tamil still does. Yeah. So it's definitely not a, a conversational language, lah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy though. So Tamil. We should learn it, lah. We're a disgrace, man. Well, to be fair, we're not Tamils. Yeah, but at least learn some Indian. <laughs> yeah. We, we should learn. Any. Well, okay. We either should learn Malayalam because that's technically our mother tongue. I feel like or, you should. You should. Choose your battles, lah. Malayalam, Malayalam is a lost battle. There's no saving that. We can't really practice it here. <laughs> yeah. So and you can't bring it back from the ashes. It's dead in the country. <laughs> in this country. In this country, yeah. 
So yeah, maybe Tamil would so second to that would be Tamil because just because it's more practical. Yeah. And it is close to our mother tongue. Uh I don't know. It is, it is. Okay. It, it is a bit close. Because they are all nearby each other. Mm. So the language sounds a bit similar. Mm. Yeah, we should learn Tamil. Um what's a new thing you learned this week? Did you learn anything new this week? New thing that I learned this week. New thing that I learned this week. You go first and I'll tell you what I learned. So yesterday I was talking to Brenda, my girlfriend. And she told me something Shout interesting. Shout out Brenda. Told me something interesting about um, the human anatomy. So she's studying embryology I think this year. Yeah. And I was talking to her the other day about female erections. Oh yeah, yeah. That should be something new you learned. <laughs> but that was about like a month a month ago or maybe two, three weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway, um, we were having a conversation with her about, oh, how come orgasms have become like a sexual, sexually selected for? How come, remember we were having that FaceTime call with her? Yeah, we were talking about, how come in, in the human experience, mm. humans are one of the few species in which we enjoy the sexual experience. Yeah. Whereas in other species, it's not. Yeah, I think it's only like humans and dolphins or yeah, something like that. Yeah, mm. So there's pleasure in that. So that trait has been sexually selected for mm. somehow. Yeah. Then, yeah. Women, women who enjoy the sexual experience more have been more successful in passing on their traits. Mm. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Anyway, new thing I learned yesterday was so fish have this thing where in the absence of males, females can become males yeah. or function as males. The human anatomy, because we have an evolutionary history from fish, has that capacity and it has been done before. I do not, I do not follow you. <laughs> I don't follow you. What do you mean? So females uh-huh. have the ability, if you manipulate the germline of a female enough, it has the ability to pr- produce sperm. What? Yeah. I don't understand. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Well, it won't have the Y chromosome, of course. Cannot have the white room because it's not a male. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait. So it's happened before? They've done it in a lab. Can But can a human being do it? Yes. Huh? How? <laughs> like mentally? They With, no, 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 no. With the right like technique, what they did in the lab was prove that at one point in history, it would have been possible mm. for humans to environmentally trigger your germ cells, which is the cells that line your your ovaries or testes mm. to select whether you want to produce a male or female gamete. Damn. Yeah. So, this also creates a very interesting ethical question, biologically ethical question, which is, would it be, you know, especially with the LGBT community, mm. what if lab technology progresses so much that females can start you know, fertilizing other females together. Like you don't need the male at all. Damn. Obviously, wait, the wait, males, wait. you can't do male and male because the males don't have the organs oh. to be pregnant. Yeah. But if a female can produce sperm, you can guarantee you can produce other females. You can just have this long history. Essentially, males can be wiped out completely, 100%. You'll just have females forever. Because they only pass on X chromosomes. The Y chromosome is specific to male and you need a Y chromosome for male. Only a male can pass on the Y. But that's a weird kind of uh, sex selection. It's almost eugenics 
Oh. There's no reason why you would do it lah. You just should it ever be done? It's an ethical question. No, but some people maybe would want to have. Yeah lah. Should it know. be allowed for something like that? Nah. It's bioethics lah. Mm. It's real hardcore humans playing God kind of question lah. It's taking that, you know, there used to be issues around in vitro fertilization. Yeah. Bioethics. Some people felt it was playing God. Now, no one really cares anymore. Mm. There's no real religious view on it. Mm. So that's been accepted, but I think this is going to be the next step, man. I mean, no, genetic editing is going to be the next step. How far should you genetically edit babies? Yeah, or even to pick pick your pick your criteria or pick or your traits. sex. Or pick your sex, yeah. yeah. That's controversial because a lot of people might just pick guys, boys. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But you can argue the inverse as well. Well, in in vitro you can do that already lah. You don't need genetic anything for that. Mm. You know, when you culture the cells in vitro mm. in the in the petri dish, um you can find out if it's a male or female embryo. No, but finding out and manipulating Will be two different things, what? By essentially, you're selecting the sex of your baby, what? It's the same uh, thing. Okay. Same bioethics question, lah. Should you be allowed to select the sex of your baby from the off? Mm. But you, what you are saying is like changing the eye color, changing the eye color, changing the eye color, yeah, height, or yeah, color of your skin, amount of melanin, all kinds of things. And there's actually a pretty good documentary on Netflix about it. I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically about the CRISPR technology. Mm. Have you heard of it? Yeah, a little bit. The two women behind it won the Nobel Prize this year. Mm. They're very young, actually, mm. in their fifties. Mm. Both of them, one French, one American. And it's very cool. It's basically an enzyme called Cas9 from a bacteria that is able to very accurately snip parts of a gene. Mm. At very accurate positions and replace it with other genes, like or just take paste. it out. Yeah, like copy. a copy paste kind of tool. It's a very simple thing, but it's so accurate. Mm. Before that, gene editing used to be like, oh, let me take a gene gun. You know, you call it a gene gun, but basically, like you shoot a region that you think is going to be the gene. You know, it's very kind of dangerous procedures, lah. Mm. It's just not precise, but CRISPR is very precise. You can target the exact gene you want to cut out and replace it with something else. That's crazy, man. The world is gonna get so complicated. Yeah, and the Chinese guy made a baby out of CRISPR already. Yikes! Yeah, I always wondered if we find a, a gay sort of gene, right? Would it be ethical to, uh, like, take out religion, right? Yeah. Whether it would be ethical to only raise straight children, for example. But I think it's the you know it, arguing that along ethical lines mm. is is the same. It's the same line as. Anything, meaning the moment you say yes to one thing, you're saying yes to all of it. You're saying yes to genetically editing something for your hair color. Mm. You're saying yes to all of it. I think so, so that line could, has to be so drawn. So you could, so you could, you, your preferences apply anywhere, lah. So if yeah. you wanted a boy, you wanted a yeah, girl, yeah, yeah, anything. You wanted tall, you wanted short, you straight. wanted straight, you wanted gay. Yeah, everything. Everything. Is, there's no wrong. That's the whole danger. Like they feel like the moment you start, mm. you can no longer pull back. That's it. Mm. You know. That's why scientists are so apprehensive and. For now, the community is quite in consensus, lah. Although they know the science can no doubt do it, mm. no doubt mm. can be done. We have the power. Damn, no doubt about it. <laughs> like, we can do it really well, actually. That's crazy. We used to be like we can do it theoretically, <laughs> but it's gonna be damn like make ten babies, maybe one would be successful. Right. 
You know, they did the clone sheep that died after a few years and all that. Dolly. Yeah. Dolly, yeah. yeah. Um, and they had a few other attempts. Now there's a company that specifically raises clone pigs and sells them. Like as a business. It's that Damn. successful. Yeah, it's really good. You know, the other day I was talking to a friend and she told me that I was having lunch with another friend and I brought up the fact that when we were in Cardiff, she didn't know that the sun was a star. Right? This lawyer really need... And she's really, really smart. Okay, this girl really, really smart. Very... Doing very well in a very good firm. Like, she's going to go places. Then I was talking to my colleague about it. I was like, you know, this, you know, this girl... Da, 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 don't know that the sun is a, a star. Your colleague didn't know. She's like, what? <laughs> like, you know, the sun is a star. Then she started laughing. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like... What do you mean? The sun is a star. No. <laughs> then she was, and I was explaining to her. And then she was like, so you mean if we zoom in on a, a star, it looks like our sun. Yes. <laughs> and she like really thought I was pranking her or something. No, the sun is a sun. The star is a star. <laughs> Dude. And she's but like, these are in textbooks, what? Yeah, that's what I <laughs> but they don't know. They always thought the sun was a separate thing, right? So I'm just oh, wondering <laughs> when. And I'm I know. Sure. Like, why are we talking about this when people can't even comprehend that? No, uh, so that's the thing. We're going to have people making really, really crazy decisions. Yeah. I'm not. And f- first things first, we, we might not even be qualified yeah. to make such decisions, of right? Not, yeah. But what more people who, like, for example, like out of the kampong and then they you go to a hospital and, oh, choose your babies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it's like how uh, when babies were born and you had to register them. So like a lot of like uh, a kampung kind of people would give weird names to their kids. Oh, I live with people like that. Right. So give some names that you have. Yusilvol Nando. <laughs> <laughs> Not joking. That's his name. <laughs> it's J-Y-L-S-E-N-A-D-O. Yeah. I, I don't know how it's pronounced. I, I've met uh, people named Bill Smith. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they just movie stars names <laughs> I have one staff right he's the cousin of my staff at the time and then I was on the f- so he was on the bus coming and I needed his name in his IC his name is No and so like I said No macam mana mau ija nama kamu then he said Tanya Tanya uh, you know his other friend that was with me then I asked him Ija macam mana mau ija tatau tatau No tatau lah macam mana mau ija ask No No macam mana mau ija NUH? No. NUH? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, but so even like things like names, right? Yeah. Like people just like timba. Yeah. Can you imagine if you gave such power, power. to just anybody? Yeah. Like what they would do? Whatever mommy's cooking smells damn good. Now. Yeah, it smells nice. We'll see what it is. Mm. We'll see what it is later. Yeah. But yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. It's very scary actually. But... Oh, I mean, if it becomes so good that literally all you have to do is select traits, mm. I think that people can make a very... Yeah, they make dumb decisions about it. Lah. But they understand... Imagine like teenagers getting pregnant and they're having to make these choices. Like, Yeah. I don't know, man. It's mad. But the fact that you get to decide to have a baby, that, that I think is an even bigger leap of decision that we give people. Mm. You know what I mean? That's a, that's a much larger leap. Mm. Than just deciding. Thankfully, we don't know or we cannot map complex traits on the genome. That's a good thing. 
So like for example, personalities and intelligence. Right. Even height is a bit too complex for us. Oh. Oh, you're right, right, right. Just checking the camera. Is it on? Oh, my phone also. Never mind. Um, <laughs> this one's still okay. <laughs> yeah, iPhone. Uh, yeah. Um, what was the thing? Yeah. Complex. Yeah, we don't know. Nobody knows. So things like, you know, you said the gay gene, for example. Mm. If it ever does exist. I don't think we'll ever know. The only cool thing is probably that technology moves so quickly mm. that probably this probably the, the real issue is going to be whether we should exist or whether we should be half robot or whether we should just in you know download our our consciousness Which to a, a, a software or something yeah so probably this this sort of gene manipulation is going to be commonplace yeah or maybe moot lah not even necessary because we're going to be robots anyway right like, why do you need to modify yourself genetically yeah. when you can, you're, you're going to um, roboticize yourself anyway yeah. or, very, or you're going to enhance your cybernet yeah. thingamajig or whatever, right? Mm. So what's the point anyway? Mm. I don't know, man. The world is crazy. I'm quite excited about it. I um, mean, beyond the human bioethics questions, like CRISPR has massive potential for everything else. There was this... Um, I remember when I was studying ethics in law school, there was a real example they gave us of a case where the parents were suing the state in the UK because their child, I think, had some sort of cerebral palsy or some sort of, uh, you know, a condition. Lah. And so, the parents were getting older and older and they were finding it more harder to or more difficult to take care of the child. Mm. So, what they wanted to do was to operate on the child to stop the child from growing. Mm. Right? And so, so it would just stunt the child's growth. Mm. So, the child would age but not grow taller. Yeah. And so, the state stopped the parents from doing that. Yeah. Because it's some sort of act of God or yeah. some might argue even mm. uh, un, not ethical uh, because the child can't make the decision. Right? Yeah. And uh, so, the parents were suing the state. For, it's inter- also for not allowing them to make that choice. Mm. That, what, would that choice have prolonged the child's life? No, I don't think it would have affected. Then why did they want to do it? Because they then it would be easier for them to care for the child. Mm. Like, you know, carrying the child because they're getting older, right? Yeah. If the child became an adult, yeah. they wouldn't be able to carry, lift. Yeah. That's an interesting one because it's not parental neglect. Yeah, no. They actually, you know, they're actually doing this to care for the child even better. Yeah. But yeah, it's, seri- it's serious changes to the human human destiny, mm. you'd say, you know. It's not only destiny, la, like you don't know. I don't know, la, it's the quality of life. Yeah. And, yeah. I don't know. At some point this this argument of being unsure about it is not gonna be not gonna cut it, la. Especially when life and death is on the line. You just have to make the jump. But again, la, like, it's, I guess it's... Okay, actually, I don't know whether this is true. Is it that everybody should be allowed to do whatever they want to do? Mm. Or it's a complete no to any sort of manipulation to that extent? Mm. Or are there some sort of guiding principles, arbitrary guiding principles we can put in place? I really don't know. La. 
we we do have I that's why bioethics exists and any kind of ethical um discussion exists because we need we need a, a, a governing we need governance. We need people to set boundaries in place and we act in accord to that and the community decides lah. And it is a so, social construct lah. It will change and shift and warp warp with time lah. Mm. Oh man. That's why we need leaders like Mahathir to be honest. They don't change. Because he's a bastion of a certain set of values. Yeah. And who's not who's not conforming. Yeah. He's not just following the wave. You know? Sometimes you just need to pick a thing and just go with it. Yeah. Whether Because at least either, it's an alternative. Yeah. yeah. And people think about that alternative. Mm. I think, so yeah, he's, whatever he said on Twitter about the Islam thing, to me, it's quite insensitive mm. to the French people. Mm. But I, I understand what he's saying from an Islamic perspective. He's just quoting the scripture and saying that these are the laws of Islam. Right? Fair enough. But it's insensitive to the French people lah. Uh, so I don't think his approach was right and I don't think Twitter was the right platform either. Yeah. First thing is the timing was damn bad. Yeah. Because it horrible. was just after events had taken place in, yeah. in France. Yeah. And number two, Twitter is sort of the bastion of the left. Yeah, that's why. So the, I don't know who he was talking to. He was not trying to appease his, his crowd. Yeah, it, yeah. It's very, very weird. Um, but again, people exaggerated what he said yeah. to a certain extent. I, especially, and that's the thing. It was also his fault because he put it on Twitter Mm. In this chain of tweets. Yeah. And people just tweeted the worst thing that he put there. Yeah, there was no context. There's no context at all. It was a long thread of like 15 tweets or something. Mm. There was maybe one or two tweets where he said some really egregious things in that tweet. And that got like blown up lah. But anyway, the reason why I mentioned him is because he's someone who is a bastion for that Eastern values. You know, Although you may not agree with Islam, but at least you understand that there, there is this complete different paradigm that exists in the world of people who don't think the same way you do. And mm. you have to accept that those people exist. Mm. And hopefully, if you have enough empathy, include them in your kind of thought process when you think about broad policies or values. Mm-hmm. I remember when Mahathir was Prime Minister, actually, he went to conferences where he was asked about homosexuality in Malaysia. He just stood up for... Islamic values and said it will never rights for homosexual people will never be a fact to consider in Malaysia. Mm. Of course, it's very disheartening, very painful, you know, and very a lot of people would say unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think so too. I I think personally that that is becoming a dated idea already, lah. And there needs to be some protection against at, le- at least abuse, lah. Mm. Oh, we know of homosexual people. Or oh, the very least can decriminalize it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Um, but, on the on the flip side, he's a bastion for Eastern values. So yeah. he's holding up the principles and on a world stage, teaching people that, look, you may think that way, but not everyone does. And that's the thing I was trying to say just now. Like, a lot of, the sort of liberal uh, groups, they attack colonizers, right? Mm. But there are a lot of Asian values that they themselves consider to be um, outdated and mm. defunct. Mm. And so they pick and choose. Yeah. You know, when it's a good thing, then they celebrate well, the Asian good, culture. Relatively good. La. Yeah. When it, it's feel good to them, then yeah. they celebrate the Asian culture. Yeah. But then when it's bad, yeah. you know, they sort of forget it and yeah. then they, they, but they target on, on the Western. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to attack all these people. 
these old people are. Mm. I don't like that. You know, he's ripping out statues and you know attacking roads and all these people. Mm. It's just you don't know if you would have acted any different if you were there at the time. Yeah, there's this uh, word that I learned talking about the thing that I learned over the week. But I spoke about it with Putre as well. It's called a. Uh, it's a German word. It's called Schadenfreude. Okay. It's basically a type of. Uh, it's not an. It's not narcissism, but it's a specific type of pleasure you derive in just purely seeing someone fear. Mm. You know, you just. It's a. It's. It's a psychological term. Yeah. Right. Where you derive pleasure from seeing someone fear, and there are opposites to that. Like I think there's like a Buddhist word called. Um, it's mudita or something where you actually derive pleasure from seeing people succeed. Yeah. But the short and fright is when you fail. And the psychologists have um, sort of studied this type of phenomenon mm. like narcissism, for example. Mm. And they see it a lot in social justice warriors. Mm. And they posit that one of the reasons why it happens with social justice warriors is because a lot of them have low self-esteem. Yeah. And so what happens is because they don't have a strong sense of self, they attach or identify with the group. Mm. And whenever the group is attacked, because they don't have a strong sense of self, they feel like they are being attacked. Mm. Right? And so because of that, they derive a specific type of pleasure when people are brought down. It's a, Because it's yeah. rooted in low self-esteem. Right. And, and I think there's a lot of that going on. Mm. There's a lot of people who attack just to see people brought down. Yeah. You see like small movements that are very pure in all these different extremes, right? And then as it becomes bigger and bloats, for example, maybe Marxism, mm. right? Maybe the core group, they really understand the principles of Marxism, mm. you know, like the principles of uh, uh, making sure everyone is given a fair shot or maybe taking from the big to give to the small. Mm. But then this group goes bigger and bigger and then you have all these sort of people who join who actually don't really care about that per se, mm. but rather just want to see the the the, the top just destroyed for the sake of destroying them. Mm. And they use Marx as a front, for example. Mm. And it's it's when you your cause gets hijacked by these people that it mm. just goes to hell. Mm. And you see them, this in the alt-right, you see this in your Antifa or your crazy extreme liberals, you know. It's just a pleasure in destroying. Yeah. They they have no desire to see you like awaken. Or or yeah, or learn something new. Yeah. Because and the moment like yeah, and you can see, right? The moment you apologize or you change your position, they don't want to let you go. Yeah. They attack you further. Yeah. Because they just want to destroy you. Yeah. They don't want to see you uh, grow or progress as a person. That's just vicious, lah. Yeah. It's being unkind. And it's unsustainable, lah. It's a Machiavellian idea, right? That all humans have a proclivity for violence and to see the destruction of others. Mm. Yeah. I don't know, lah. Whether it's true or not. Yeah. We've uh, kind of uh, hit one hour 30 minutes. Oh, good job. Yeah. yeah. Not bad for a Chaplang podcast <laughs> episode. Not bad for nothing planned. Yeah. Um, let's see what people say about this. <laughs> Probably uh, nothing good. Nothing. One thing about podcasts is numbers go down during um, MCOs. Oh, right. Because you think that people have more time to listen. But, but they're not on the road. They're not traveling. Yeah. Which yeah. is probably like the best time to listen to podcasts. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, this is a very um, noble... Ad- uh, noble uh, venture of yours. Yeah. yeah. I don't know whether noble is the right word, but it's fun. It's um, commendable. It's a passion project. Yeah. It's the only thing I did in 2020 <laughs> that's worth anything. <laughs> no lah. Didn't you say, you told me you got like the, 
the highest biller in your company. Shh, oh, I can't say that. That, that doesn't have to be said. <laughs> you did well at work, lah. I did well at work. Yeah. yeah, so that's something notable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you have plans for the rest of your MCO? Uh, I'm going to fix the roof after this. You're welcome to join me. Hmm. Sounds delightful. But <laughs> I have a work meeting actually. Yeah, convenient. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, what about the balance of the week? Um, I've got. Um, that's a good question, lah. I mean, I'm still working, still reading papers, writing. Uh, doing some analysis of data, managing my field stuff in the forest. I have almost daily calls with my boss in the UK. Uh, so still all of that to do, but I'm just going to enjoy reading like literature. You got me a really good book that I've not finished. Mm. Uh, hopefully you get to interview the author. Yeah, man. That'll be a cool one. Joshua Kam is supposed to come on. Yeah, I'm reading his book now. <sighs> you should read it too. Oh, we can do um, recommendations. Oh. Well, let's, no, let's not do recommendations. Let's do... Um, Thoughts. Let's do maybe uh, what uh, what opinion? No, what advice do you have for people who are navigating MCO? Um, you spend time with your parents. Talk sure. to them. Okay. Find out what they like to do. Do something fun with them. Mine would be. I think some yeah, getting a routine. Something I struggle with. Mm-hmm. Getting a routine and just sticking to it, lah. Mm. Like I think that's the thing like, we kind of live kind of a society that welcomes um going with the flow and yeah. we don't we kind of decry like you know tradition or routine yeah. or even um um what do you call it? That's ritual the, ritual. That's the first chapter of your John Peterson book, right? Make your bed. Yeah, make your bed. Yeah, that's <laughs> but yeah, we, we kind of like decry ritual, right? Yeah. But ritual, having a ritual is actually so so powerful. Call it routine la, as much. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, even doing something sort of like in the morning getting up and taking a few breath, deep breaths or, you know, even small things or just making sure you brush your teeth yeah. right, every day in the morning. First thing in the morning. Not, don't do that every morning. No, some, I do. But some people don't, right? Don't look at me like that. Tell me honestly, do you brush your teeth every morning? Yeah, of course. MCO? Yeah, definitely. What time? I even brush it at night as well. What time in the morning? Like first thing when you wake up or like mm. closer to the afternoon when you get out of your room? No, 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 no. Not first thing. Not, not first thing in the morning because when I wake up in the morning, I watch videos like <laughs> for half an hour. <laughs> no lah, half an hour, half an hour, half an hour. You think what my brother is? Whenever I'm outside your room, yeah, there's some shit playing. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of times I'm actually sleeping, you know. Oh right. So I use videos just to, playing lah. I use videos to fall asleep playing and I don't turn it off. If you use like um, book apps, huh? Mm. Like I'm using Audible now. You can put in sleeping uh, mode, you know. Mm, so you so basically it set off. it, yeah, it turns off after fifteen after or twenty not using minutes. It la. Not, no, you set the time. Oh, right. You said like switch off after 20 minutes. Yeah, I should definitely get something like that. Um, there's this wonderful, I actually mentioned it in one of the podcasts also, but there's, there's this one YouTube video. Mm. It's called Joe Para Talks to You, Puts mm. You to Sleep. Mm. And he's a comedian. He's on Adult Swim. And he has a very like, kind of like chill kind of voice. And then he just talks about it and stuff. Yeah. And he has this kind of like, hey, hey guys, you know. Mm. Mm. Sorry, you're having a tough time sleeping. <laughs> like, you know, and that helps you. Yeah, and it's like 10 seconds of that and I just fall asleep. Oh, and good. it's funny, it's just like 11 minute video and he talks about bagels and right. you know, he talks about… Uh, yeah. I wonder if there's any psychology to what he put together. Yeah, there's something about this tone of his voice and the way he speaks because he doesn't speak quick or… F- it's not like beautiful, you know. It's very, it's, it's very odd, his voice. He has a very peculiar type of voice. Right. And even his comedy is very, very odd. Yeah. You know, he's like very… 
eccentric lah. Yeah. So, but it's really, really just like magic. And he's he, it's just a 11 minute episode, but they put it on loop. Mm. Just put it on loop, and yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for helping me with this because because of this MCO, we had to cancel our guests. Yeah, uh, well, no kind problem. of reschedule. Yeah. So that's a bit of a drawback, lah. Yeah. Then next week we have Joanna coming on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. From Adelaide. Actually, you can join if you want. Maybe I'll pop in for a while. Mm. Um. Yeah. So your advice to everyone is spend time with your parents. Yeah, do, do something. Bonding. Do something fun with them. Mine is have some routine. Maybe we should ritual. play um, Scrabble or something tonight. Sure, why not? But let me see how my meeting goes with my my boss. I okay. don't know what is going to happen. Anyway, uh, thank you all for listening. Um, if you haven't already, <laughs> if you haven't already, please do follow, like, subscribe, comment. We're thinking of doing a T-shirt since we are thinking of doing a T-shirt. Yeah, thinking of doing a t-shirt. <laughs> people don't know, you know, that it's sensei. Some people here as pepe. <laughs> so if you don't know, it's sensei. Oh man. Okay, we're derailing. Anyway, uh, stay healthy, stay safe, stay good. Bye. Bye. We are done.